Hello and welcome to Brokenomics. And in this episode, I'm absolutely delighted to be speaking to Jeff Booth. Jeff Booth is a uh, tech entrepreneur and he is an author. He wrote a book called Price of Tomorrow, which I consider to be one of the most important books that you can read. It is a book that fundamentally changed the lenses of which I view the world. Um, and actually, when I started Brokenomics, I said to Carl that there was a few characters that I really wanted to get on, and I gave him a short list of people that I wanted to speak to, and Jeff was at the top of that list. So I'm absolutely delighted to welcome Jeff to the show. Jeff, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks. My pleasure, Dan. <laughs> yeah. um, do you want to tell our audience just a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your background? I, I, probably the easiest way. I'm an entrepreneur. Entrepreneur. I build companies through uh, through the internet wave. Mm -hmm. um, one of those reached about 500 million in value over uh, over time. Um, and then um, I saw what was happening in technology, how fast technology was moving. Um, and I decided to write a book called uh, The Price of Tomorrow, Why Deflation is Key to an Abundant uh, Future. Mm. And today I, I invest in companies on top of the Bitcoin ecosystem. And, and I see it as a transition from a system that we live in now to to a new system that get, that that brings better uh, essentially brings truth hope and abundance to humanity that's going to sound really difficult to understand right now before going into the thesis but uh, mm. but that's why that's why I'm spending my time there one slight anecdote that I think you gave me although uh, and this was at the, the conference where we met although we were about eight beers in at that point so I, I could be misremembering this but did you tell me that um, when you were running Build Direct that you uh, you got the chance to meet Justin Trudeau. Yeah, is that great? Is he smarter in person than he comes across on camera? Because on <laughs> on, on screen he appears to be this complete uh, uh, himbo. I mean, but but he he's risen to the rank of prime minister. There must be something going on. Yeah, I, you never know. And I, what I would say is, I I spent time with him too, and I knew his entire team, and I know yeah. how the entire political structure works. I know how all they not just political. I know how the technology structure works. I know how that how power concentrates and what it mm. does. As a result of this, he had uh, he had my he he and his team had my book before it was published. In fact, okay. it was partially the central bankers prior to like with him that in a in a in a very private meeting, I, I asked the question, I laid out my thesis, and the central bankers said, "What would you have us do?" When I realized, oh my god, my kids are going to grow up in a really dystopian world unless I write this book. Um, that people don't understand how big a deal this is, and when and when elected and otherwise officials that are supposed to be looking after things mm. have no clue about what's happening, and I would ask that question in a very private room where they could actually answer honestly, you realize oh, we're in a lot of trouble. So that was absolutely going to be one of the questions I'm going to come to later is, is, is to the extent to which central bankers and senior politicians understand the danger of this. But we, we might be in danger of putting the horse before the cart. Do you want to lay out the central thesis of the book? Yeah, um, the central thesis of the book is technology, uh, technology increases productivity um, and, and, and prices should fall in a free market. Um, it's and, and technology and added to that technology is moving exponentially because of Moore's law. And so prices should be falling exponentially. Your time should be getting more and more. You should be working less and getting more every year. Um, and, well, and didn't Keynes say that at this point we should be working 15 hours a week? 
Yeah, uh, about 10 hours a week right now. Um, and that was written 1923 in the economic uh, possibilities for our, our grandchildren. And that was in 2020. So so if you fast forward that to today, it should be uh, about five hours a week. Because remember, it's an exponential pattern and humans don't understand exponential patterns very Keynes well. Keynes was talking about a different time where we had something much closer to a hard money system. And of course, that's not the mechanism that we work on today. Yeah. So remember, Keynes is partially responsible for the mechanism we have mm. today. Um, and a whole bunch of ideas in his glory have been essentially misconstruing that human nature wouldn't co-opt a financial system. Do you um, believe that if we, if we had remained on the gold standard, that it might actually be the case that the average man was working... No. Okay. no, because gold wouldn't, wouldn't have solved the problem because you go to war over gold. Um, and you or you revalue gold because it centralizes. Um, so either somebody comes in and steals that gold from you, or it central or it centralizes, and and the government on top of that rewrites the rules on gold, like like the U.S. did in 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 the 30s. Okay. And so because because of that centralization, um, now hard money is different. Hard money, but the world needs a neutral reserve currency that can float with different nations getting more competitive, less competitive, that cannot be manipulated. And if you look through the entire lens of human history, if a money could be manipulated for some humans' gains over other humans' gains or their their losses, it will be. Not it might be, it will be. And so gold was was a really great effort. It it, it slowed down what we're talking about, but in time it always got co-opted. Mm. But surely with fiat money, it really accelerates this process. So what with what fiat. happens if this this fiat money system that we have now and the political structures we have now, what happens if this is just allowed to run? Well, well that's what I, I explored in the book, right? Um, and all the second, third, fourth order derivatives of this conversation. Mm. So to make it easy for an audience who hasn't understood or hasn't looked at the book, if you say in economics, prices fall to the marginal cost of production. That is that is a law in economics. It always happens. And you can regulate an industry for a while to slow that down, but that regulated industry is then attacked from somewhere else that doesn't regulate that industry and prices continue to fall. And then then your industry is attacked from somewhere else. So over long term, uh, prices always fall to the marginal cost of production. It is why the calculator app on your phone is free. It is why that your photos are free today. It's why this video, what we're doing right now is free today and can touch millions of people where it couldn't before. Because when there's a penny of profit, entrepreneurs will try to attack it until there's no more profit. And then they'll go to the next industry where there is profit. And so prices always fall to the marginal cost of production. Now that's super important. So you can't, move on to something else before you answer that. And that is a true statement. The next statement, um, we have exponentially moving technology. So prices should be falling exponentially so fast to the marginal cost of production, we wouldn't even be able to understand it. So those two things are, are factual, true. There's not, no one has ever um, argued with me on those two things or debated me with any, any. Now. And, and this, this won't just be 
uh, classic technology items, really. It won't just be your phone, because mobile phones obviously have gone through this process, laptops and, and other electrical equipment. This will be agriculture. It will be, it will be everything. Technology is everywhere. It's in energy. We, we use technology in energy. We use technology everywhere. The problem is, so I'll finish this statement first. So that means just those two statements alone mean, mean prices should be falling exponentially everywhere. But we live in a debt-based system. And that debt-based system is, is making up monetary units out of thin air at the exact corresponding exponential rate. So prices should be falling that, on, on one axis and you have to manipulate money globally mm. at, a, at, a, at a higher rate than that to be able to essentially pretend $400 trillion of insolvent debt is solvent. Mm. So what you're trying to, what you're doing as a result of that is you're pushing up prices on fewer and fewer things because because remember the, the calculator app I talked about, the video that we're on right now, the photos that you're talking about, where are they in GDP? Yeah. They're free. They're not in GDP anymore. So I used to take photos, take them to be developed, and I spent money for all of that, and now I don't pay a penny for all of that. But I'm better off. But from a GDP perspective, it looks like the economy is shrinking. Exactly. But, but the, if the economy shrinks, the $400 trillion of debt becomes insolvent like that. And they, every bank fails. Every you would go to the your grocery store. The supply chain feeding it would fail. No. There, it would be empty shelves. It would be dystopian overnight. So you can't allow a deflationary spiral. So governments are trying to inflate to stop that. Essentially, they're trying to make your currency worth less mm. by by making up more units of currency to be able to stop that. We've we've and, always had that rate of technological increase, and obviously there was a step change around, say, the digitization of information with the internet. But it feels like we are entering another step change with robotics and AI and a number of other convergent technologies. Kathy Wood talks about this all the time about the big ideas of the things that are coming forward. It feels like that rate of technological improvement is increasing sharply at this point. It's not. It, um, it feels like it is. It's been, it, it, and, and I say this quite often, if you, you've read my book. Yeah. So it lays out exactly where we are, exactly where AI would come and, and replace a bunch of labor and do. So people are surprised today. People are also surprised by the financial system that they live in because they're measuring the system from the system. Mm. We have been on, if you measure on a log scale, an exponential pattern, Technology has been moving at the exact same log rate for over 50 years. Right. Exact same. Why it was so easy to predict exactly where we'd be right now and exactly how much debt would be needed and, and manipulation of money to fill the hole is because I was just using a log scale and everybody else was yes. looking at linear. So, what, so what, what's happening is, is people are watching a frame of a movie and then instead of how the movie ends instead of the entire movie and they're really confused by the frame of the movie because things are happening so fast and that frame of the movie today oh my god ai is going to replace all labor tomorrow and then it's going to move by the way the next frame of the movie merges it with machines um and a friend of mine runs a company that is a leading company in this many don't know it but there's actually uh, robots right now in stores in Vancouver, not not um, doing single purpose items, general purpose robots that you could give a command that say, 
operate this store to the best to be best you can. So it'll unload a truck. It'll then do uh, stock a shelf. Then it'll go up and uh, then it'll go up and do the cashier work. It'll do all of this stuff, not a job, all jobs mm. in, in a year or two, it'll be better than all humans at that. All of it. Mm. I mean, I, I know so, Amazon today is employing half a million robots and they do the job of 2 million humans. And, and surely yep. that trend is going to continue. So that, that's a very interesting point, actually, that the, the technology is increasing at a consistent rate of change, but that rate of change is itself exponential. Yeah. And that's... And so, yeah. Yeah. So so you know the paper folding an analogy I gave in the book, my book. Please right? tell the so, audience, because that's a great one. Yeah. So I've asked this to tens of thousands of people in audiences and people get the same answer all the time. But if you fold a piece of paper on itself um, 50 times, now you can only fold it seven. But mm. if you imagine you could keep folding a piece of paper on itself 50, uh, 50 times, how thick is the piece of paper on fold 50? Mm. And when I ask that question all over the world, I get about an inch, right? Sometimes people say two inches. Very rarely people say the ceiling. Um, that piece of paper would reach from from here to the sun. Now, that's a long way. Yes. And why? And, and and but more important in that is when when people finally understand that answer, they think, okay, it's a parlor trick. And if they couldn't get that answer, then they also can't really easily. Then they can't also get how how an exponential pattern like Moore's law, it's or AI is moving at the same rate, and the steps today are way bigger. So every year and a half, if you think about where we are with AI today, and now we're on, if effectively use that fold analogy, and we're on fold 34, moving to fold 35, the steps are a lot bigger mm. than fold two to three or four, or four to five. Well, so, so, so to give you an example, in, in the paper analogy, fold 49 is only halfway to the sun. Exactly. And, and, and 50, it's, it's, it's enormous um, absolute change, but it, the, the rate of change has been consistent throughout. Exactly. But the problem is, is we've got a financial system which is based on um, more debt, and then you need to create more debt in order to pay the, the interest on the existing debt. So what, what happens when you combine this um, consistent rate of change on technology, which is, um, from our point of view, accelerating very fast, with a financial system which must always see growth. So you've got these powerful deflationary trends with a financial system which must have inflation. Yeah, you hear every politician, we need more jobs, we need more growth, we need more. And so no matter what we're going to do, doesn't matter what politician, what side of the aisle, much of, much of the money to run economies now doesn't come through taxes. It comes through a hidden theft that you have no vote on. So underneath that, so what that means is all the entire political structure on top of it is just theater because all, all of it needs to be to service the debt has, has to have money manipulated at an exponential rate. And it just who gets that money, who decides who gets the money is, is what you're talking about. And you have no vote in that. You have zero vote in it. So, so it, what ends up happening is the eventually laws you 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 centralize everything you lose your individual rights and freedoms it's just a natural part because money is superordinate uh, to laws who has the money can fight the laws change the laws put their justice in change that over time and um and we continually vote in a system 
thinking that there is change from within the system when we only make that system stronger. And ask yourself this really simple question or have the audience, any single person in the audience ask this. If a politician came to you and said, listen, your, your real wages are going to go up next year, but your income is going to go down and your house prices are going to come down and all of these prices are going to come down because we're going to live with an economic system based on truth. You'd laugh that person out. You don't want to hear that. You want to hear there's a free lunch. And so if, if our selfish nature can't, uh, can't see that, how could we change that from the very system that we're voting for? Mm. And, and, and what you'll see is why, why societies break and why typically you go to war at the end of these to be able to try to fix a system problem that is unfixable from the system. And, and what happens if the system plays out? What happens to politics and distribution of wealth and, and what happens to all of this? It's uh, so, so today the, the, it, it, it go back to that Keynes thing when, when, when he's talking about 10 hours uh, a week and having more than we have today, he's talking about the global average. So today, what it looks different, there's a hundred million, 50 million people that are preying on all the other 7.9 billion people that are, that, that are doing. So inflation is wage deflation. Hmm. Right. It's the same. It's the opposite side of the coin. So when a labor in, uh, in, um, in Ghana or somewhere, it digs up cobalt and they work for, for, um, for all day for a dollar, that is what powers your life here. And it wouldn't work because you wouldn't buy the electric car that requires that if it had a different cost. So that, that, essentially stealing from other people's productivity all over the world gets worse and worse and worse. And that's why and, and, um, in the existing system, and it has to, and that centralization of a function hits, pits countries against countries. And it's way easier to convince your population that it's somebody else's fault outside your borders. First, you divide your own population and you say, I'll fix it. Right. I'm a hero. I'm going to fix it against the, your counterpart in your country. I mean, you divide, you divide your own nation. Once you have power, because you can't solve it there, you need to create uh, another war and another enemy in a different region to be able to. Uh, so then, there needs power. to be a constant them versus us narrative perpetuated all the time, internally, externally. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, I wrote an entire a chapter mm. about us versus them in the book because you could see what was going to happen. Again, I wrote the book primarily because I looked forward and played the movie forward and what the movie would look like. Um, I could see all of the checkpoints, what would happen. Um, and I looked at my kids, my young kids, and I said, what world will they grow up in? So you've, you described how the technological process is predictable and you can see the way it's going. And on the other side, we've got this incompatible financial system, which is coming in from the other side. Yeah. Um, I, I suppose that is also pretty predictable because you can see the rate of growth in the debt. Have you thought much about where these two clash and they become completely well? I mean, they're incompatible now, but when when do the when do they break when they push up against each other? So it's not a it, it's not the same break. So people are trying to um, when you're measuring essentially the human body, when you're measuring weather, when you're measuring an economy, you can't look at most prognostics or, or anyone on TV would tell you 
the thing. Here it is. Here's the reason. Everything else. You can't do that. It it it, it looks like chaos theory. Yeah. And and small things lead to big changes. And so for me to say the date and exactly what happens, I would just be adding mm. to that. Um, and and I would encourage people not to look like that. It's actually like this. It's 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 asking which snowflake causes the avalanche. I, th- I think you've given an example in the past of um, uh, an experiment where you drop grains of sand onto a bowl, and at a certain point the thing collapses. But it's not predictable which grain of sand is the one that does it. Although, if 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 we were to apply this to a political system there are going to be people who correctly predict which grain of sand because there's enough ma- people making predictions. So in the when you rewind the clock, it's going to look like somebody had a, a process for working this all out, but actually it, it, you can't predict when the system it's, becomes unstable. It, it, exactly. Now think about, and, and this is why, so let's, let's look at human nature in what's happening today. So Venezuela or Argentina, they have a hundred and hundred, hundred percent, 114 percent inflation rate currently. So that means the same thing that's happening in the US or UK or or Canada with our eight or 10 percent inflation rate is happening there at 10 times the the inflation rate. And so there is an open monetary network that every single person could move over and called Bitcoin Hmm. that is unstoppable by by the system where they could save their wealth and their time in something fixed and essentially they could measure because it's a fixed unit they could measure prices falling to the uh, uh, price to the marginal cost of production through bitcoin where you couldn't measure that in the existing system so there's something that offers every person on the planet a way out of the existing system where they don't have to pay back the 400 trillion dollars of debt or be any part of that that risk of that system but why are 95 percent, 96 percent of the people in that country why are they still clinging to hope inside the existing system and what you'll see is how much power that exerts over us mm-hmm. and so those people have just been wiped out their savings are, they could have saved their entire life and it's gone all of it and now what's happened versus the rest of the world their labor has just gotten way cheaper versus the rest of the world. So money will race in to take advantage of their cheap labor and they'll start again. And a whole bunch of people will be wiped out continually. Well, they could have been saved. Well, they could have just moved their time into a new system and it's that's open to anybody in the world. So well, well, human nature is such a powerful force inside our existing systems and we give our existing system strength by doing that, like think of what ends up happening. Look at the pictures in Venezuela and Argentina, people marching on the street, breaking windows, fighting, uh, and then they go home. And where does the money come to fix all that stuff? Mm. And and you, what you'll see is you actually strengthen the existing system against you. I've often used that um, famous image of Wemmer Germany, of the guy pushing his salary home in a wheelbarrow. And the thing that I've always found really remarkable about that image is not the fact that he's having to push his salary home in a wheelbarrow, because that is the product of of inflation when it gets to its logical endpoint. The thing I find remarkable is that he's going through the effort of still pushing the wheelbarrow. He still believes in that system, and he's still willing to, to, to buy into it at that point. He's not saying, get me out of this go to gold, which would have been the option at the time. So why why do you feel that Bitcoin is the right answer as opposed to gold? 
So, so for me, and, and um, because gold has tried to solve these problems, you couldn't actually so- solve them T- today, fighting a war to, to gain the gold back. Good luck, right? It, it, the technology to fight it, the wars look like proxy wars or a destroy or a destruction of our planet. It did just go on forever to be able to go and to kind of get the gold back or, or have enough, uh, it, it gold won't be used in this now I'm, i want to be careful i don't want to say that like that so i think in probabilities so yes. gold might so so there's a potential that gold is used as a transition step to what we're talking about and gold could be revalued a lot higher on the way through so i'm not against gold i'm just it's an inferior it has inferior properties to bitcoin in where we're going essentially it's always been able to be central it gets centralized and that centralization cha- uh, changed its risk profile because of that. And so you're not going to take your gold bar and shave it off for a piece of I- for an ice cream cone. Yeah. And so, uh, you're, and if you have a bunch of gold and you're trying to get through an airport, it might be cons- confiscated. So you're still locked within the country that your your dom- domain is, um, and you can't get out. Bitcoin has so, so many different um, unique and superior properties than that. It makes it a better, a better asset. More importantly is this. If, if you had a system change like we're talking about, and the powers that be, and I'm not saying this is mostly not bad people, it's mostly a system reinforcing itself, but the powers that be at the top of that system essentially didn't work. They told you other people what to do. And they created laws and rules that uh, told, told different people what to do. And, and so, and, and Bitcoin changed the rules that essentially the labor or the productivity, people with productivity uh, gained more Bitcoin because you, um, mm. and instead of the rent seekers, then you could imagine a massive fight in a system that was 10,000 times bigger than Bitcoin. and and everything in its power to try to kill it you could imagine what would happen if anybody knew what bitcoin was it was decentralized and secure then you would imagine that everything in its power would be be try to to kill it and so 14 years later it's just stronger and stronger and more decentralized and more secure and so some now if somebody wants to read in depth on this, look at my website at jeffbooth.ca. And I wrote an article uh, called Finding Signal in a Noisy World. And I explained why Bitcoin is, is, is alone in this. No other altcoin or, uh, um, and what it would look like, both from the new system and from the system trying to attack it. And it explains from a physics principle why there is nothing, nothing even close to Bitcoin. It's a once in a lifetime type of invention mm. or discovery. Um, and I know that's hard to grasp. And some people would say, oh, sure, there has to be something else. If they did their work, like I've done my work at the depth of this, they would find what I'm saying is true. And so it would have to be that strong. It would have to be that decentralized and secure because otherwise it would fail. Um, underneath an attack from unlimited money to try to kill it. The, the pushback so, I always get is, is people say to me things like, um, you know, the government won't allow it. 
but th- th- there's there's no corporate office you can send a cease and desist notice to. It's a protocol. It it cannot be shut down. It'd be it's like uh, when the record companies try to shut down the the teenagers um, sharing music amongst each other. It but, but, wasn't but possible. It, it, yeah, you're totally. You're right. That's exactly. That's exactly. It. It's impossible to get shut down because it moves. It's more decentralized. It's everywhere. It's a network. It's everywhere. Um, nobody knows that I run a node, right? That somebody else runs a node. My neighbor runs a node that protect. Like these are everywhere in the world, and there's impo- so it's literally impossible to sh- uh, shut down. Now, but think about the question in itself. That question that was just you, you said because it's probably the number one question I get too. Um, governments will shut it down. Okay. Do you realize that there is no they? There's just we. Right. And so when you say this imaginary force that has control because you give it control, you also choose your outcome. You're you're literally one of those people in Venezuela or Argentina saying, "Um, I'm scared and my fear is going to make the government more uh, uh, give the government more control when you have an open monetary network that is in your control to, to, uh, today or everybody's control that nobody can shut down. Mm-hmm. And so, but that fear, that, that, that fear. So I would personally rather live in hope and I'm an entrepreneur. I want mm-hmm. to build a better future. I want to build a better future for myself, my family, the world I live in. Mm-hmm. And I would rather live in hope that I'm, I'm on a path doing that than fear and yelling at people on a path that I have no control on. Yeah, I'm, I'm very much like you. I studied probably more skeptical in it, but the more time that you invest in it, you start to you start to knock out all of the other options, and it does sort of come back to that. But you know, even putting that aside, it feels very much like the system that we have at the moment. It is controlled by people who, you know, as a product of the fact that they have control, have done extremely well in the existing system. They own a large proportion of the assets. And it feels like, especially in the US today, because of their their dollar status, is they are willing to destroy the potential for an innovation-based future, for an alternative structure, in order to preserve the system that they have at the moment. And we're seeing this with sort of the Operation Choke Point 2.0, which is attempting to clamp down. It It feels like the US is starting to, inch by inch, bring capital controls back. Locking they, the they have, into, it, 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 when I said laws change, they have to. So, so you have a you have a system based on theft, and and there is no other word for it. It might that word might sound harsh, mm. but you didn't vote for more monetary units to no. go up. And every time more monetary units are created, everything in your life gets more scarce, and you have to work harder and harder mm. to try to get. So, abundance and money creates scarcity everywhere. Scarcity and money creates abundance. It's literally that simple. Well, what um, what's that stat you give? It's it's about the amount of debt that had to be created twenty years ago in order to generate a certain amount of GDP, and and basically it's, it's just trailing off. What, what remind me of that? Yeah. One. So in, so in in my book, I I went through kind of how both systems would operate against each other, and and for in the preceding twenty years to two thousand nineteen, my book. So what I wanted to find, I wanted to find, I wanted to see if there was a smoking gun that would that would essentially define that my thesis was correct. Right. So what I, my thesis was technology should be driving prices down and that 
that debt must be, or manipulate de- debt and then manipulation of money, must be expanding at exactly the offsetting rate to that technology mm-hmm. to be able to to see it. And and if you looked within one country, you wouldn't see it. You would it would feel like a shell game, right, <laughs> to all other countries. So you wouldn't see all the movements. But if you looked at all countries versus all GDP, you might see it. So I I did uh, some research and I found that. In the preceding 20 years, the the uh, the debt had grown $185 trillion, $185 trillion. Now, remember, $1 trillion, if you paid back a yes. dollar a second, would take about uh, 32,000 years to pay back. Yeah. So one, $1 trillion. Oh, right. I, I just it, accept it, that I cannot get my head around a trillion. A, a exactly. billion I can maybe do, but a trillion, not a chance. Yeah. But again, these large numbers, same thing with exponentials, break your brain. So you mm. think it's safe. So $185 trillion of new debt to, to grow economies globally by $46 trillion. So essentially 40, four to one mm. uh, new, new debt and, and, um, and monetary easing to grow, uh, to grow economies uh, by, uh, for, every, for every $4, $1. Yeah. And so just think about that if you had to do that personally. Because you do have to do that personally. So, so if, I, if I had to go to the bank and say, I'm going to borrow this amount of money to make a quarter of it. Exactly. To make, to make a quarter of it. And then mm-hmm. that was the entire rate, right? Not, not the, the taxed rate. <laughs> so that was the entire pro. And, the, um, and you had to do it. And the next year it had to get worse. And the next year it had to get worse. And the next year it had to get worse. So over, over would, time, it's not even four for one. It goes down. It's five to one, six to one. Five yeah. to one, six yeah. to one, eight to one. It has to be. And, and that's why you knew in response. To, uh, you knew there would be something. The, the market started breaking, uh, by the way, long before COVID. The repo rate spiked way before COVID. You knew there had to be something to inspire a massive liquidity globally. There had to be because the system would have uh, unwound at that time. To watch the full video, please become a premium member at lotuseaters.com.